0: A very powerful and important passage. And I hope we don't miss what it teaches us today. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant, and they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, Weak and poor and needy, thirsty and hungry to receive that which you have for us. Allow us, O Lord, to receive it and make what we might block or inhibit to break through the walls of our numbness, and renew our minds, energize our hearts, and make us to be your servants and to more fully trust in you, for you are sufficient for all things, glad to have eternal life, but may we glorify you more in all that we say and do. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We are here this morning to worship our great God who has been so gracious to us in Jesus Christ. And the cleansing of the temple is an event that teaches us so much about the way God would have us to worship him. That event happened just shortly after Christ humbly entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey in what we all call the triumphal entry. The city of Jerusalem on that day was absolutely swollen with Jewish pilgrims who had traveled many, some many, many miles to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover festival. The city normally had a population of 80 or 90,000 people, and Josephus informs us that about 2 million people would pack the small city of Jerusalem during the Passover festivals. Each family was responsible to provide the animal of sacrifice for their own Passover meal, and yet, almost surprisingly, Joseph. Josephus tells us that most of the pilgrims did not bring their own animals with them. Instead, they chose to purchase their animals at the outer court of the temple proper, which was called the court of the Gentiles. People would come into this part of the temple, at the other sections of the temple, all day long to worship and sacrifice. Unto God. One has to wonder though why the pilgrims did not bring their own animals with them because to purchase them at the temple meant paying far far more for them than what they were worth. A sheep was the usual sacrifice but provisions according to the law were also made for the poor to purchase less expensive smaller animals. The pigeon also called the turtle dove, but Josephus again informs us that the price charged for a pigeon at the house of God, hold your breath, was 50 times more than what it was worth on the streets. So you have to wonder why the pilgrims did not bring their own animals to save on that great expense. And it's because there was an approval process for each animal that was brought to the Passover meal. Each animal, of course, had to be deemed without blemish. But more than not, the animals, even the best of them, were disqualified by the priesthood because of a corrupt system. Approval approval was almost impossible to get because the priests were getting kickbacks from the sales. So bringing an animal several hundred miles only to hear the word unclean virtually eliminated the practice of bringing one's own animal to the passover celebration sadly the pilgrims had come to worship in celebration of god passing over his people in judgment when he saw the blood of the lamb on the doorposts in egypt but The religious leaders of the day were using this event as an opportunity to line their pockets. On top of all this, a temple tax was required that had to be paid with Hebrew shekels. And because most of the travelers did not use that currency, exchange tables were set up at the temple. And this, too, was used by the priesthood as a means of extortion. Exchanging one's currency could cost up to a 12% uh, in fee. And we thought buying a hot dog at Busch Stadium was a rip-off. Whoops, I just uh, spilt my popcorn. Oh well, there goes $17.23, who cares? It's estimated that Up to one quarter of a million sheep were sold during that week, and countless pigeons were sold. And into that scene walked the Lord of the church, filled with righteous anger holy anger and as the Lord of the church he marched over to the money changing tables and he took his powerful carpenter hands and he flipped them up and turned them over and then he he scooted over to those selling animals and he kicked over all their seats they were of course scrambling out of them Coins were rolling everywhere, feathers were flying, and in the middle of it all was the Son of God. And my favorite part in all of this is really what happened when the dust began to settle. The little kids, the children recognized this righteous one and began crying out in praise, Hosanna, save us, son of David. Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna to the son of David. And the blind and the lame began to stream to him with the hope of healing. Now, with the sights and smells and sounds of all of this before us, and especially with Christ's righteous anger and zeal for God's house before us, let us learn as much as we can about biblical God-honoring worship. This was the temple of God. This temple was established by God for the worship of himself. And this event of Jesus cleansing the uh, the temple has much to teach us. And the first thing is this. Worship must always be regulated by Scripture. Worship must always be regulated by God's Word. When Jesus performed this cleansing and quoted from Isaiah chapter 56, saying, My house shall be a house of prayer for all peoples. He was regulating the worship of his people with scripture. My house shall be called a house of prayer. And then quoting From Jeremiah chapter 17, he said, But you have made it a den of robbers in fiery judgment. He was saying to those in the court of the Gentiles, but especially to the scribes and the priests, and by extension to the entire Sanhedrin. Not only have you failed to regulate worship according to Holy Scripture, but you are using God's house to fleece the worshipers for your own sinful gain. The same thing still happens today, does it not? Church leaders extort the people to line their own pockets. Keeping things going is the most important thing in these scenarios. And this happens uh, in various places throughout the United States and throughout the world. It's very prevalent, for example, in Africa, where prosperity preachers take great advantage of the people by promising great material blessings in return for offerings given. You'll remember that at the time of the Protestant Reformation, a similar thing was happening in the Roman Catholic Church. Things had devolved. They didn't start out like this. But a similar thing was happening with the sale of indulgences and the reformers were very, very zealous. They were zealous about a lot of things, but this normally doesn't come to our minds first. They were very zealous about the regulative principle of worship. Oh, the regulative principle of worship is simply this. The worship of God's people should only consist of those things commanded in God's word or which can be by necessary inference drawn from God's word. Well, the list of the elements of worship that I'm about to give you wouldn't have been uh, all of them. Wouldn't have been as pertinent in at their time. But with the fuller revelation, the church historically has boiled down the elements of worship to God calling His people into worship and then greeting them as He does in the epistles. He's very pleased with a corporate confession of sin and the fact that we come into this worship service humbly, much prayer in the service, the reading and the preaching of God's word, the singing of psalms and hymns, a corporate confession of faith, the giving of tithes and offerings, the sacraments, and... God's benediction upon his people. All of these can be found in God's word by command or they can be drawn out of God's word by necessary inference. In a few weeks, we may look more closely at these various elements of worship. Well, the regular to principle of worship is vitally important The the wrong philosophy that says we can worship any way we want as long as God does not condemn it in His Word is extremely dangerous. It's a runaway dog. With that philosophy, you can get everything from hardly having any substance in a worship service to the craziness of smoke machines, dramatic dance. Bring your dogs, your cats, ferrets, even hermit crabs, you name it, for a special bless-your-pet service. Scripture must be regul I mean, script- Scripture, yes, must regulate our worship. I believe that a direct correlation can be drawn between what God says about salvation and what he says about worship. The Bible teaches us clearly that there is only one way for a sinner to be saved from his or her sin, and that is for that sinner to repent and trust solely, solely, rest solely in nothing else but the person and redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He who comes to me. No man comes to me. Gets to the Father. No man comes to the Father except through me. God has told us how man is to be saved. In like manner, God has told us how those who are saved through faith in Jesus Christ are to approach him and worship now, having said that, there is absolutely no church on earth that has perfect worship, including ours. In this way, the reformers always said, reformed and ever reforming. We must always seek to align more and more closely with what the scriptures teach concerning worship, both in its structure and concerning And then there's one other important thing I think we can learn from this powerful event, and that is that God-honoring worship must humbly center on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The scribes and Pharisees and priests in their pride refused to acknowledge who Christ was in his deity, and so they completely missed what should have been the center of their focus in the temple. If the true worship of God is to take place, then Jesus Christ must be the focus. God's Son must be the focus. The Lord Jesus Christ must be exalted because there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He is the only mediator between God and men. Does not our salvation solely belong to him? And we actually see this demonstrated in our passage when those in need came to him for healing in the temple. Just as soon as the dust settled, here comes the blind and the lame, And he healed them. What an amazing moment this is. It wasn't a first, but what an amazing moment. Well, why is this so important to take note of? Because I can't do those things. I can't raise the dead either after they're buried six feet under the ground for three days. Can you imagine me doing that? A person is put in the ground, and he or she is there for three solid days. And I am able, even in the power of God, to do it. Is God able to do that? Yes. But I don't think that he acts in that manner today. So the dust settles. And I believe there's a special reason for Jesus doing these miraculous things. Every time Jesus exercised divine authority like this, it confirmed the truth that he was indeed God's promised Christ come to earth and that he could heal the sin-sick soul, ultimately in the giving of his own life on the cross for sin-sick souls. That's what the prophet Isaiah meant in chapter 53, verse 4 of his prophecy when he said, Speaking of Christ, he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Christ's divine authority to heal the body signaled his divine authority to forgive sin. That is what Jesus made plain in Matthew chapter 9 when he told the paralytic that his sins were forgiven. Remember, he said to his accusers, which which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? Which one is easier? But that you may know that I have authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. They associated that action with blasphemy. And what Christ did that day made them want to kill him. Salvation belongs to Christ we respond so much differently than these wonderful miracles, that just a blaze of them, that we see coming from this powerful and kind and compassionate man. Salvation solely belongs to him. That you may know that I have authority on earth to forgive sins, take up your bed and go home. But we also learn that praise belongs to Christ solely. Listen to these children crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. These children who were in the temple that day in a sense led the worship, didn't they? They at least led the encouragement of it. There are times, children, When I look out over this amazing church family that God has blessed us with, children, when I see you, whether you're three years old or whether you're 10 years old, whatever it is, when I look out over this amazing church family, there are times, the parents don't get this viewpoint, by the way, not the viewpoint that I get. There are times when I see you praising God and actually, in that praise, encouraging us adults to do it. It's it's so encouraging and it's wonderful. What did the chief priests and scribes try to do? They tried to shut the kids up, they saw the wonderful things that Jesus did for the blind and the lame didn't impact them at all. They heard the children crying out and they said indignantly, do you hear what they're saying? Jesus said, I think you all need a little Bible lesson. From Psalm chapter eight, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise. With that statement, he exalted the children who were in the congregation of his people. But even more than that, he uh, said that I am God. He affirmed his deity, and the uh, prophecy in Psalm chapter eight was now being fulfilled in his presence, and he was not turning down any praise. My question to you adults is this. Are you going to follow the children or the religious leaders in our passage? There's only two choices here. Are you going to follow the children or are you going to follow the religious leaders? And my my question to the children here is, are you going to let anybody shut you up in your praise to Jesus I don't think so. Can you imagine how much energy there was that day when, when the king and lord of the church kicked over the chairs and flipped over the tables? Can you not imagine a little bit of fear and in the midst of that fear, these children start singing out, save us, son of David, save us. That's so cool. And isn't it telling brothers and sisters and children that only the needy came humbly to Jesus in our passage. Those who were poor in spirit. Those who were bankrupt and helpless. They are the ones that came to Jesus. It's the, it was the children and the adults who felt weak and helpless without him and they wanted to praise him and they wanted to glorify him and they wanted to receive from him. Is that you? Out of the mouth of babes. Out of the mouth of those who are, who are not self-dependent. Out of the mouth of those who are weak and helpless, and who worship with all their hearts. Why is this so important to us that we view this event like we have? Why is it important that we hear the children and we see the lame hobbling up the steps into the outer court of the Gentiles where worship is supposed to be happening all day long? in order to receive from Jesus the healing that they need, it's because in Luke chapter 5, verses 31 and 2, Jesus said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Are you sick? I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If you're not a sinner acknowledging his or her sin. That's a dangerous place to be. Because if you don't know you're sick and that your soul is sick, then you won't call on the great physician, the great doctor who heals the souls of men and women and boys and girls on the cross and he takes our sin sick stuff, and he places it on his own body and bears it in his own body, and next week he rises from the dead. Well, okay, not next week, but we celebrate that next week because our sins were accounted to him, and because he was holy and righteous, the ground would not hold him. It could not hold him. If you are not willing to acknowledge your sin, then you have no need for the great physician. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for sinners. It's not for those who think that they are acceptable to God on their own. The cross is for the broken. The cross is for the bruised. And you know what our God does for bruised wicks. For those who are burdened with their sin. And by resting in Him and the sufficiency of who He is and what He did that had been planned for all eternity, for your sakes, your tears are turned to joy in the freedom of the gospel and in the freedom of godly worship. You know, it's really easy for us to look down on those poor scribes and, and, uh, uh, and uh, religious leaders of that day, isn't it? Because they deserved everything they got. Jesus said, you have made my house a den of robbers. But wait a second, before we get into our purchases, How many of us can say that we have never broken the eighth commandment, you shall not steal? And how many times do you have to steal in order to be called a thief? How many times do you have to murder someone to be called a murderer? We're stealing from God every single time we come to worship and fail to give God the worship that is due to Him. And if we recognize these things and we apply these things to our lives in many, many ways, our worship will accelerate because we will understand better what amazing grace is. We don't understand it fully, nor will (coughs) we ever in this life. Well, I'll say it again. We're stealing from God every time we come to worship and fail to give Him the worship that is due to him. But as we come admitting our sin and failure, he calls us to worship. He greets us like he did the women after he rose from the dead. Hi, go tell his disciples that I have risen. He's with us in a corporate confession of sin because he loves the poor in spirit. He meets us in prayer. The reading and preaching of God's word are so central. The singing of psalms and hymns, the giving of tithes and offerings, the sacraments, the benediction. Where would we be as sinners without the gospel? of Jesus Christ that covers us with Christ's righteousness. Our sin is accredited to him who is righteous, and through faith alone, his righteousness is credited to us who are not righteous, and all of our sins are atoned for and thrown into the deepest sea, past, present, and future. Worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Worship the Lord in the spirit of holiness. Worship our great and awesome God and look to him alone for salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you do meet us. You recognize that we have been made from dust, Breathe the breath of life within us, but we have rebelled. You recognize all these things. And we pray, O God, that you would protect us, keep us from temptation, renew our minds with what you have taught us, and may it cause us to accelerate in our worship of you and in our service and love for one another and in our witness to a lost and dying world. Protect our children. May they never shut up, even if someone from the outside says shut up. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, let's take our Psalter hymnals and turn to... uh,